You're listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Well, it's been 28 days since this show first launched, and from that day, we've had 504 unique listeners that have found the show and tuned into the episodes that are out there already. And I have to tell you, that number really does bring me a lot of joy because what it means for me personally is that I was able to connect with over 500 people. And I know that those that listened were told the truth. They were told incredible stories by very compelling people. The interviews had very hard questions, but the most important thing about the interviews is that they had very important answers truthful, vital answers that helped many. The feedback has been remarkably encouraging from everybody. And I just want to thank you for being a part of what God's put on my heart. You know, and and just like every podcaster, you know, you want people to listen. I'm just, that's the point. And so, you know, every day I check in and, and I look at the analytics of the show and the numbers that are coming in and, and every day that number creeps up a little bit more. It might be eight or nine or two or three or 10 or 11, whatever it might be. But every time that number rolls up, I just thank God because it's another person that I was able to connect with. And so thank you so much for being a part of what we're trying to do here. It means the world to me. I give God all the praise, all the credit for what he's doing. And I appreciate everybody with their love and support. Well, and as I always want to do with you, I'd like to start with a little leadership tip for you a question to put in front of you, just some wisdom I can offer about leading with love and finding that leader inside of you. I'll start with my son, Wells. He is two. And right now he is going through what I would call a demanding stage, like everything about him. He wants immediate gratification. And if it doesn't happen now, his impatience just explodes. I have no idea where he gets this from, probably from his mom or, or something like that. But he literally is so impatient And when you don't meet his need right then and there, he usually kind of blows his top and he starts yelling at you, stomping his feet, maybe squealing a little bit. And, and when he does this, we, we usually say, Wells, calm down, take a deep breath. And you're being really rude right now. We'll say that to him. And sometimes he'll just chill for a minute and then he'll just say, thank you. And when he says that, you know, with his little, you know, smile on his face and his big brown eyes staring at you, it can melt you a little bit. But what my son thinks is, is that when he's been yelling at us for, you know, four minutes and then he says, thank you, that everything all of a sudden is just completely okay in the world, which is kind of true. Um, (laughs) He knows how to, he knows how to really uh, work the dials with my wife and I, but I thought about that a lot in relation to our lives. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to have to be people that are thankful. And we're heading into this Thanksgiving season, and it's all right in front of us. And we like to talk about being thankful. But I'm putting this before you right now, that if you're going to be a good leader, if you're going to lead your home, if you're going to lead at work, if you're going to be a coach that is really successful in the field, you're going to have to be a thankful person. And not just because it's a box to check but that you would have a genuine gratification for the people around you that God has put in your life, that you are genuinely appreciative 
and thankful and grateful for the people around you that help you to make things work and make things go. And so if you really want to lead, start with being thankful. And so think about it today. The question is this, who needs to hear from you right now? Who in your life needs to get a text from you saying, I'm really thankful for you? Who needs to get a phone call from you or maybe some time over coffee just to say, I really appreciate you. If you want to lead with love, it all starts with truly being thankful. And it really does change everything when we show a thankful heart to the people around us. Well, and speaking of thanks, I am so thankful and so grateful for the interview that I am about to present to you. I had the privilege of interviewing Tara Cutter. Tara is a great friend of mine. She is a leader in our community here in the city of Norman, Oklahoma. She owns her own security business. Uh, Additionally, she's just an incredible mom, a wife, a grandmother. Uh, She follows Christ, and she has just been a big influence in my life and my family's life over the last several months. And I've been just dying to present this interview uh, from her to you because I know she is going to impact you greatly. And within just a few moments of hearing her share her heart, you are going to be locked in to what she's saying. And I cannot wait for you to hear that. Tara is going to share her soul with you in regards to what it means to be a servant leader, where we pick up the towel and we truly serve the people around us just like Jesus did. And so she is going to just knock it out of the park. And I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say. So without any further delay, here is my interview with Tara Cutter. Tara, welcome to the show today. I want to thank you for joining me. So glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. I'm so uh, grateful to have you on as this uh, podcast begins to build an audience and get some traction. I have a feeling that uh, we'll look back on this particular episode and look at it as one as a cornerstone for uh, just our growth and, and gaining uh, just new listeners. And so uh, I'm just humbled that you're here today. It means a lot to me. And I thank you for coming on. And, you know, my heart for this podcast is just really simple. I want to help people understand uh, the power of leadership and that within everybody they can lead. And they just have to understand that a lot of times in our lives, there are the problems we face, the things that we're going through, the difficulties we have. Uh, many times just a lack of leadership on our part to do things the right way or to step out there and and get out of our comfort zones a little bit. And so uh, we're going to try to offer some practical solutions to leadership today for people and give them things to do uh, and just actually just give them practical advice about what it means to be a leader. And so I want to just dive in with you here today before we get into uh, your passion here about leadership. And I'm just going to ask you a question. I think that might really get this going in the right direction here today, but uh, not that you have insomnia or anything like that, but what what in our world today, in this this world we live in that just seems so chaotic and uh, just volatile and shaky at times, what what's keeping you up at night right now with things in our world? Wow, so many things yeah. that can keep me up at night. Um, you know, there's turmoil in our in our society. There's so much divisiveness. There's Social media is just a train wreck in some respects. In other yeah. respects, um, uh, I had some anxiety a couple of months ago, mm. as recently as that, when we were moving from mm. one home to another. And I was laying awake at night wondering, can we get this done? And the next day on social media, on Twitter, actually, 
I saw a quote, Franklin Graham mm. quoted his mother as saying, it's my job to do what's possible and it's God's job to do what's impossible. Mm, that's good. And that gave me so much peace. Yeah. And I thought, this is what social media should do for me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so anyway, right. you know, there are just... There are just so many worries of the world, but one of the most frequent commandments in the Bible is fear not. Yeah. So I just have, sometimes I just reflect on that. Sure. Fear not. Well, that's good. Yeah. For me, you know, with a family and a wife and a church that you're trying to lead. I mean, for me at night, sometimes I, I know I can find myself obsessing about uh, what's next. You know, what's the next thing we're going to wake up and see on the news or what's going to roll out for us. Uh, down the road. And I know I find myself anticipating that with worry. Uh, and and so I, I think today our conversation is going to help with those those restless nights, those fears that we might have in our hearts and in our minds, because uh, when it really comes down to it, we we can only control what we can control. And a lot of times our, our fears and our worries are based in uh, things that we have no impact on, literally, uh, where it's a big macro problem in the world that we really have no ability to solve. Um, but I think when we really get down to the focus of life and being in our communities and our homes and our churches or where we might work, uh, it's all about serving other people and controlling what we can control in that aspect. And I know you're really passionate about servant leadership. And that's a term that we hear, uh, that word servant leadership uh, together, that that ideology of, of, of leadership. What is that to you? Give us a good definition of what it means to be a servant leader. Well, the best definition that I can think of is the illustration that Jesus gave us. So one of his very last acts on this earth before he went to the cross was to sit with his disciples and break bread. And and he, he gave this long uh, speech to them and he prayed mm-hmm. for them in John 14 through John 17. Right. But right before that, he washed their feet. Mm-hmm. and when he was done, he said, you call me teacher, and that's good. But what I'm doing for you, I want you to do for each other. Mm. And so he teaches them that. But then in verse 17 is the big the big wow moment. <laughs> he said, you know these things, right? but when you do them, you'll be blessed. Mm. There's so many things we know, but we never put into action. Right. And Jesus said, do this, act like this, treat each other like this. That's good. And, you know, that can translate into our everyday lives. Be present where you are. I walk into a grocery store or 7-Eleven. I don't bring my phone with me. Mm. I don't talk on the phone while I'm interacting with the person who is kind enough to do that job and allow me to buy iced tea, even on Christmas Day. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I want to be present with them. Right. I want to inter- interact with them. I know their names. Mm. I call them by name. These are my neighbors. These are my people. Mm. And even just doing that is an act of servant leadership, I believe. Amen. That's good. I, I you know, I, as soon as you said that, I thought of the, the scripture in James where, you know, he's talking about, you know, if, if you see someone in need, and you just say, hey, good luck with that. And you don't do anything to help them or to clothe them or provide a place for them to stay. And you wish them well and pray for them, but you don't do anything for them. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's just embarrassing, literally. That's kind of right. what James says in chapter two, that that just means nothing. You know, we've got to be people that are doing things like this. So that was kind of where uh, I was hoping that we'd have this, you know, uh, this conversation trend is, you know, thinking about going to your Walmart. 
you know, or uh, being out in the community or being in your workplace or whatever. And having that mindset that you're, you're going to have the towel in your hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you, you say a statement like that um, and you talk about Jesus and the disciples and washing their feet and being blessed that they do these things, what, what does it look like on an everyday level to have that towel in your hand towards other people? Well, I think, first of all, um, establishing in your mind what Philippians says in chapter two, that we don't do anything out of selfish ambition mm. and don't do it out of vain conceit, but instead esteem everyone else as being better than yourself. And that's a really good pride check for me because there are times when that scripture will pop into my mind when I am really esteeming myself above everyone else around me. And so in your daily life, in the people that you interact with every day, with your family, you know, that the first people you interact with usually in the morning are your family. Yeah, And it's easy to be focused on what you need to do to get ready to get out the door. And it can sometimes be hard to slow down and be that servant. So it's a constant reminder to yourself mm. to how can I serve my family? The first way is to pray for them. That's good. Before I get out of bed in the morning, my husband and I pray together and we pray over our family. We pray for our church. We pray for our pastor, for, for your family. Yeah. We pray for uh, our community, we pray for our leaders, and just that sets the tone for the day, that that submissiveness to the Lord. Mm. And he says that when you humble yourself in his sight, he'll raise you up. And when God raises you up, there are so many things I can do in my life to elevate my status or my position, right. but none of them are as satisfying as getting low before the Lord Mm. and humbling myself and letting him raise me up because it's a whole different plane. Mm. It's like the matrix. It's just a whole (laughs) different, just a whole different plane. Right. So you start, you start with prayer and that kind of gives you the, the baseline for the day. Absolutely. And and that just, it's it, like you said, it gets, puts you in that low spot of Mm. knowing where you're going to, um, where you're starting for, for the day to, to serve other people. So in, and in your home, um, if you're passionate about these things as a, as a servant leader, what are some things that you happen in your home that show that you have the towel in your hand, like Jesus, uh, Jesus did? Well, one thing is meals, Mm. you know, (laughs) I'm the cook in the family and, um, making sure that my family sits around the table together as often as possible Mm. and bringing other people in as often as possible. That's such an ax you know, the book of Acts kind of thing to do is to break bread together and, and talk about the word and rehearse the things that God has done for us. Mm. I mentioned that anxiety that I had moving and part of my anxiety was because I was having some physical problems and I thought, well, I can't be very effective helping. And, um, I had this anxiety and, and I, I kept having to remind myself, look back over your shoulder at how many times God has always been faithful Mm. when you do the possible and don't, you know, I don't sit around and say, well, I hope that that box gets packed. (laughs) I have to do. Right. And then God meets me and he's always come through. Sometimes we just have to look back over our shoulder and say, look where God has brought me from. That's really good. That's really good. I, what, what would you say um, for myself and, and anybody that's listening Today is is the biggest obstacle for someone that is um, maybe struggling to 
to, you know, to believe in this idea of, of being a servant first? What, what do you think the biggest roadblock is there for people in that regard? Hands down pride. Mm. I think, you know, we, we have this very narcissistic culture, Yeah. social media, again, going back to that and trying to always put our, our best face on ourselves mm-hmm. and not be authentic with each other. Mm. Um, it takes a lot of humility to get on your knees with that towel. Right. And it, it also takes authenticity. There are people who don't want to be close to you if they think that your life is perfect. They, they automatically feel like they can't measure up. So I often, I carry in my Bible, my Christmas card picture of my family. Mm. And a lot of times I'll just whip it out to people and say, you know, this is what I present to the world in around November 30th every <laughs> year. But, but what's real is that we're flawed. Right. And and we have our our problems, and we we're not always we don't always look like we did on this day when we sat in front of a professional photographer. Yeah. So you know, getting authentic, letting people see that you're real, and that you know there have been things in your life where you've taken missteps, but you always get back up, and you always look for where God has worked through those things. That's good. I've grown the most when I've been the most challenged. <laughs> when I've been knocked down, yeah, <laughs> I really doubt. look back and I see those were times of deep growth. Right. Well, let's talk more about the Christmas picture. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> just you're talking like about the sense of families that send out these pictures with the same sweaters on and the yeah. puppy that's perfect. <laughs> and, you know, everybody's smiling and all that. You know, exactly. they got a little snapshot there. But I think that's a I think it's a great point because social media captures this as well. I mean, we, we can all put on uh, the, the best front uh, with a photograph on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. And it, it appears that everything's great. Um, but let's speak to that for a second. How, how do we um, overcome that, that presence that's there in our lives all the time to, 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 to always have to look the part and to, it's all for the likes and the clicks and the, you know, those things that are just controlling us at times. Uh, because I, I do believe it. we want to call it what it is. You said the word pride. Um, I, I would also use the word arrogance, Absolutely. you know, and, um, so speak to that a little bit, uh, a little bit more in, in that regard. Well, when we, like I said, when we put on that image of perfection, mm. People want to compare themselves and then they fall short. The enemy's whispering in their ear and telling them they fall short, just like he does in my ear when I see somebody's perfect vacation, perfect house, perfect family, right. their kids in med school and killing it. You know, all, <laughs> all these things that we tend to want to compare ourselves to. But um, we're, we have to remember we're comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Oh, that's really and good. not just their outsides, but what they want, the airbrushed version that they're putting out there. Mm-hmm. And, and people who do that are very lonely because, mm-hmm. like I said, you find that the people don't want to get too close to what they perceive as a perfect family or a perfect person. Sure. So when you just practice letting that guard down and showing the more humble side of yourself and you see how people are drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And how much impact that they can have on you and you can have on them when you don't have that perfection layer, which is like a a bubble that keeps people away from you. And it's just so satisfying. Mm. Relationships are very, very satisfying. That's good. God created them to be so. I love what you said just about 
we're comparing um, apples and oranges, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, we see people online. I mean, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, you know, put my wife's, uh, uh, you know, struggles out there, but I'm going to, and she can <laughs> forgive me later. But I mean, I know for her, you know, and, and not just my wife, but I know other other moms out there that, you know, even when Mother's Day rolls around and they uh, they see uh, things being posted about Mother's Day. And um, I, I know for her, it, it just creates this insecurity too. Am I measuring up? Yes. Uh, am I as good as what all these other people are posting about uh, who their mother is? And and I know that that, that struggle is real. That is, that is really, really good stuff to, to consider. And I, I just think that in the height of our culture right now, that, that arrogance is, um, it's almost celebrated and the sense of look at me, look what I've accomplished here. Uh, here's what I have. Um, here's what I'm working towards. And, and there's nothing that's magnified that more than social media. Absolutely. You know? And narcissism will kill us. Mm. It kills our soul to be inward focused to the point that we don't see other people. We don't, we can't get outside of ourselves. And then we're, we're, almost forced into this comparison disaster that happens. One of the things I wrote on Facebook a couple of years ago that got the most interaction of anything else I've put out there, I said, you know, we women tend to compare ourselves to each other and then always fall short. Mm. And if you're ever tempted to compare yourself to me, compare yourself to this. I am often thoughtless. I am selfish. I I am capable of speaking before I think and hurting people's feelings and expecting you to to say, oh, my intention was good, so give me credit for that in spite of me saying something that hurt you. And, you know, just putting that out there, people felt compelled to comment, oh, my goodness, I'm that way too, or I'm this, or I'm that. And just having that conversation about, Okay, if you want to compare yourself to me, compare yourself to the bad too. Right. And it's just authentic. It's sure. just being real. That's good. Well, and I think that that helps us kind of, you know, change a little bit of direction here in the sense of, you know, we're talking about arrogance and pride and comparison. And I think the beauty of of being a servant leader that's willing to pick up the towel is that it just changes your perspective of everybody that you're you wake up in the morning and and you want to make other people better. You want to see them grow. You want to serve them. You want to see them flourish. Um, and so let's talk about that uh, for a minute. And just the, the, you know, in your life, who, who would you say is, has just been the greatest example for you in your personal life of what it means to be a servant leader. And you can get specific here. And if you want to name a name, you can, you can be ambiguous, uh, but I mean, someone that's modeled this for you and you look at them and I and, and think, I really, really want to have what they have in that regard. Well, in my early life, my mom had a friend. My mom was a single mother after my dad left. Uh, there was uh, a lot of dysfunction between my parents and, and alcoholism and, and some abuse, some physical abuse. Mm. And then my mom was raising us kids, five kids, and we were kind of floundering. You know, we, we weren't, it wasn't a Christian family. We didn't go to church. And I had some neighbors that t- started taking me to church. Wow. And then a couple years later, 
of course, I was soaking that up like a sponge. Mm-hmm. And a couple years later, when they moved, they arranged for the church bus to come pick me up every Sunday morning. <laughs> so, you know, having people like that who they had four little girls, they their time, all their resources were spread so thin, but they made the effort to talk to this little girl next door and take me to church. That was such an act of sacrifice yeah. on their part. Sometimes they had to drive two cars because the the mom drove a little Volkswagen bug. She couldn't fit her four girls and me in the car. So they would drive two cars in order to be able to take all of us to church. Wow. And and then my mom had a friend who uh, had me babysit her kids, and she really, really modeled some great behavior for me. And so just people who you know, take an interest. And oh, that's good. And then in my adult life, I've had a couple of really neat mentors who uh, just challenged me mm-hmm. to get in the word and dig in the word and and not just hear it, but do it. And, and not just hear it, but study it for myself. And I really developed a real love for that. That's great. God's word changes your life. Mm-hmm. As you know, it it changes your life. Well, that's, I mean, that's really, really well said. I, I think too, it's, it's just a powerful thing to, you hear the words of, of people just making the sacrifices and that's really what it's about. I picture our savior in that moment and having the towel in his hand and he didn't have to do that. So he didn't have to wash the disciples feet. It wasn't a convenient thing. Those people picking you up for church and taking two cars is rarely convenient. Right. Um, but it shows sacrifice. It shows commitment. And uh, I love to hear stories like that. I'm reminded of, you know, just to maybe answer my own question here, just because it came to my heart. I mean, I went through uh, some really rough, uh, a really rough time, you know, about 16, 17 years ago where I was, uh, I made some really poor decisions. I was uh, very disappointed in myself. I, I disappointed other people. I, I felt like I hit rock bottom and I was in a really dark place. And uh, there were days when I just did not want to get out of bed. There were days when I was really struggling with my worth and uh, whether or not I, I had really anything to live for, you know, and th- that was a real place I was in. And and I had a good friend of mine and his name was Don. And Don was committed to me in, in a sacrificial way to not let me get to that place of no return. And, and I'll never forget it when it happened. And, and he knew I was struggling. He knew I was really battling to face the days. And he just told me flat out in his amazing accent that I am taking you to dinner every Sunday night. Wow. And I'm, I'm going to take you to a nice dinner. We're not, we're not going to Burger King. We're not going to go to Subway. Not, no knock on those places. But he would just said, I'm taking you for a nice dinner every Sunday night. And I'm going to make sure you're okay. And I didn't want to go to those dinners. I don't want to because he would ask me questions that I didn't want to answer. And he showed me care. He showed me that he loved me. And uh, in the first you know month or so of that happening, I, I did not look forward to those dinners because uh, they felt invasive. Uh, they felt like um, I wasn't allowed to to wallow in my pity. And but Don just said, "I am not going to allow you uh, to go any further down." that road of darkness. I'm just not going to allow you to. And these, these dinners went on for months and they got to the point where I looked forward to them and saved my life. That's great. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to say it. It certainly saved my spiritual life and gave me hope in people and hope in myself. 
but when I think of a servant leader, I, th- I think of my friend Don, and he picked up the towel for me and um, changed my life. That's you know, so, so I wonderful. praise Christ for that. I mean, it's just it's uh, first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, you know that reminds me of when Paul said. Comfort one another with the same comfort that God has comforted you with. And that Greek word for comfort means to walk alongside. Mm. And sometimes the most humble thing we can do for someone else is just be there. Just be there. We don't always have to be there and try and tell them how to fix things. Like you said, ask questions. Right. Just be there. That's good. Weep with those who are weeping. You know, one of the ways that that I feel like we carry the towel is to show up when someone's loved one passes away, show up and, and go to that service. I I talk to people and they say, Oh, I just, I don't like funerals. So I don't go. I said, really? Because I love them, (laughs) you know, tongue in cheek. I don't go because I love funerals. Mm. I don't go because I enjoy watching families mourn. I go because it's an act of service Mm. to their loved one. And it's always neat because you get to learn more about people from the way they're eulogized. And it makes you want to live in a way that your eulogy someday will be like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in our church, we recently lost someone and the service was one of the most heart-wrenching and uplifting at the same time because there was so much love for that person. Mm-hmm. And so many people turned out standing room only. Right. It was just that's an act of service to a family. Yeah, the ministry and pastors would call that like the, just the ministry of presence. Yes, just being there. You don't have to say anything. I think a lot of times people think they have to say things and have the right words. And and I'm reminded of you know, a story I heard from you know Rick Warren, who pastors out at Saddleback Church in California. And, you know, his son. It's a very public story. You know, his son committed suicide, and uh, just a tragic story and uh, heartbreaking to listen to his testimony about it. But the thing that that Rick said over and over again through that is that the power of presence with people around him was what got him through it. People would literally just show up at his house and stay in his living room and stay the night and not even say a word, but just were there, uh, just being beside him and not having all the magical things to say, but just to be there. And I, I love that. And I want to go back and if you will, because I think it's worth hearing again, uh, use the word. Um, you know, comfort there a minute ago. What was that definition that we said? To walk alongside. To walk alongside. That's one of the Greek definitions of that word that that is used so often. When Jesus introduced us to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, he said, I'll send you a comforter. It's the same word. It means he'll walk with you. That's great. And, And one of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit is once we accept Jesus, we can't ever be separated from that one who was sent to give us comfort. He's always with us. What a promise. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll get a little personal here with you just because I know uh, this and I think our listeners would love to just hear uh, a quick uh, just summary. But, uh, you know, you and your husband that, you you know, you've you've adopted a a young man named John Mm -hmm. and you talk about servant leadership. You talk about you know, walking alongside people. And uh, John is an incredible example of, to me, one of the uh, greatest things that you can do for someone on this side of heaven is is to bring them and give them a home and to provide for them and give them a chance and give them something to hold on to in a future. And so tell us about John real quick, your son, and 
Uh, I know that that's probably a, a three hour story, but I think <laughs> I think I've heard it and in a way that, you know, you could give us the, the quick details here of, and, and how that how that looks in regards to, to serving. Well, you know, the idea to adopt came when um, we had two grown children and they were married and and good. The two couples were really good friends. They came over for supper one night and we had a five year old daughter. And the the big kids left and Kenny and I were talking and said, well, we wish that she was going to have a sibling close in her age that she could be friends with when she's grown. And um, we just decided really that that just birthed the idea to adopt. And um, it, it was a long process adopting from China at that time. That was around. We started that process in early 2006. Right. And we didn't go travel to get John until 2007. He was five and a half and he was just a joy from the minute that he met us. He was so excited to have a family. He was old enough to understand what he did not have and what a gift the family was. Wow. And um, he was just great. He and, and by then our daughter was seven and they became friends the first day. Just she was hovering over him, wanting to mother him. But John is just, he's just a miracle. He's just, um, he's been such a joy to our family from the very first day. He was totally bought in to mm. us being his family. Mm. And um, one of the stories I like to tell is before we traveled to China, I was up praying early one morning and I was saying, you know, God, are, is this okay with you? for us to go to China and take a child out of his country and people who look like him and sound like him. Mm. Is this okay with you? This seems like it was happening a lot back then. There were a lot of Chinese adoptions. And I just thought, is this okay? And I, I had just this little vision as I was sitting there quietly before the Lord, and I could see all these Chinese American children growing up and at the very least, praying for the people of China, because Christianity is so underground in China. And, and some of them even traveling back to China, maybe as missionaries, or in some way being raised in a largely Christian nation, you know, praying for the people of China. So I just thought, I just felt a peace at that point. And I yeah. thought, well, we can proceed with this. And so we did, and we brought him home in, in June by fall, he was learning about Christmas and Jesus' birthday and presents and, <laughs> and all the things that go along with Christmas. And one night when we were saying prayers, he kind of got this angry look on his face. We used to, you know, call it his stink eye look, you know. <laughs> and uh, and he said, I said, John, what's wrong? And he said, Well, how come I know have Christmas in China? Mm. And I said, Well, they don't know about Jesus in China. They don't worship Jesus. And Christmas is about Jesus' birthday. And so that seemed to satisfy him. And so we started saying our prayers. And the next thing I heard him say is, God, please let the people in China know about Jesus so they can have Christmas. So he hadn't even been here a few months. And that vision I saw that morning wow. was already coming true. He was already praying Amazing. for the people in China. And I just, I believe I believe what I hear about how Christianity is just like a wildfire in yeah. China and Iran and some of these places where the darkness has had such a foothold. Right. So, yeah, wow. John's a blessing. 
He is amazing. And I, and I just, uh, I, I recall this correctly. I mean, he was in an orphanage when yes. you all went and got him and, and how did he end up in an orphanage? What, what's that? Why does that happen so frequently? And why was he in that particular situation? John was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate. Mm. And he was in a, a province that has a lot of rural families. And he was probably born into a family that knew that they couldn't take care of him. They don't have medical assistance for people or they didn't at that time for people who had low income and the only way to save his life and get him medical treatment was to abandon him. Mm. And so he was, he was abandoned and taken into the orphanage and, and had a couple of surgeries and, and that's how, uh, how we wound up with a boy child from China because a lot of the healthy births were girls right. that were being adopted. Well, as I said earlier, I, I just can't think of many things that we can do for an individual on this side of heaven than to to take them in and give them a hope and a home and a future. And uh, so to hear that story is certainly uh, falls in the realm of, of of serving people. And and I, I would you say anything else? Just in, just maybe what God has taught you about servant leadership through ha- having this adopted son and any other final thoughts on that at all? Well, you know, when I was preparing for this, I was really trying to dig deep into what are some of the things I have to remove from my heart in order to make room for people. Oh, that's so good. And one is anger. You know, we live in a, we're, we're addicted to outrage in this society. There's a, an outrage, a new thing to be outraged about every day. And I have to really, really look into my heart and say, yes, some things might make me angry. But Ephesians chapter four says, don't use it as an excuse to sin. And James chapter one says, be swift to hear and slow to speak and, and slow to wrath. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, it says in James. Mm-hmm. And so you have to get anger out and you have to get unforgiveness out. Yeah. If there's somebody that I'm struggling to forgive I make myself, even if it's with gritted teeth, pray for them. Yeah. And you cannot pray for someone habitually without God giving you a love for them. You just can't. Right. I, I, I've found it to be impossible. <laughs> and yeah, and I, you know, you think sometimes like, I'm going to pray for my enemies and God's going to be like, you're on, I'm on your side. Right. You know, like I, I'm on team Daniel or yeah. whatever. He just doesn't do that. And in fact, he, he changes the heart. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. And so anything else about that? the anger, the, you know, just that's there, um, and, and making room for people. Just being aware of the situations. You know, there are a lot of people who say, oh, I can't be led by the spirit. I don't know. I can't hear God. And, and I just say, well, Jesus said that if you're his sheep, you hear his voice. And sometimes it's a really quiet voice. Sometimes it's just a prompting to pick up the phone and make a phone call. You know, the, the thing that we can do as Christians that takes the least amount of resources is encourage each other. Sometimes all it takes is a phone call or a card or a note or walking into that 7-Eleven without your phone up against your head and making eye contact and asking someone how their day is. And, you know, sometimes it's just those little acts of step out of your comfort zone, do the thing, just do the thing. Right. And you feel a prompting, do the thing. Right. 
and and you'll just be blessed so much in return. Now the little things are the big things. Amen. I mean, they're they're the things that really make a difference. And what what do you think people um, when we hear the word servant leadership? What, what do you think some when you hear those words come you know roll off the tongue and we talk about it here at length? I mean, what are some would you say misconceptions about it? Like what do you what what are some negative things that might come to people's minds in regards to being a servant leader? They think that they're going to get walked on. Yeah. People say, well, I'm not going to lay down because people use me as a doormat. <laughs> you know, look at how Jesus lived. Look right. at how, how, how he worked with the disciples, taught them so many things. But then the one thing he wanted them to get at the end is, I just washed your feet. Now do this for each other. And, you know, Jesus seems unconcerned about our fears that we're going to get dirt on us or that somebody's going to walk on us. Yeah. We just need to do the thing. It's good. We just need to do it. Yeah. Just do it. I mean, it's just the little things that the, you know, when you get down and you, you get your hands dirty and you're, you get lower than people and you have the towel wrapped around you. I mean, it's, it's just the action. Sometimes we, as I like to say a lot to our church and and to my people I'm close with, sometimes you have to do the action, and then your heart follows. Absolutely. And and I think that sometimes we're, we're we want our heart to happen first, and 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 that will happen occasionally. And I believe that to be true. God does immediately change our hearts, but I also think that God adjusts our hearts by us doing things and the act of things uh, to have that proper posture towards um, him and, and towards other others. And, and I, I thought about this, you know, in regards to our conversation that, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit. I, I servant leadership is not a, it's not a technique, right? Uh, right. It's, it's not something that uh, we can sit here today and say, Hey, here is the, here are the seven things that servant leaders do. I mean, you could probably find that and online, or there's probably a book written about it, but I would say that, that it's more of a lifestyle. Absolutely. And why don't you speak to that for us? Well, starting your day with that posture of humility and and adding to your morning prayer, God, how, how are you going to use me today? One of the things I had to learn about 15 or 20 years ago is to leave margins in my schedule. I stayed so busy right. that if something happened in someone else's life where they could use me showing up, I didn't have time. And, you know, some of the practical things we can do is just leave, leave a little bit of margin in your schedule so that when you see the opportunity to walk alongside somebody or to serve somebody or to go encourage somebody or make a phone call, that you're not feeling that pressure. Right. There's no reason for us to fill our days so full. And we have choices about the things we put in our schedule. That's right. I mean, we do have to go to our jobs. We do have to take care of our children. You know, there are things I know we have to do, but we all can do better at leaving margins in our schedule so that we have time to have relationship. That's great. The Bible begins and ends with relationship. Mm -hmm. It begins and ends with family. That's right. It sure does. Wow. That's really, really good stuff. I, I think too, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's an attitude towards people as well that, mm -hmm. You know, we we're in a Walmart or we're out at a restaurant or we're coming home to our husband or a wife or whatever. It's how do we view them? You know, and uh, that we don't walk in the door. And I know men, I have many of my my close brothers and in, <laughs> in church and friends, 
you know, one of our biggest struggles as men is, you know, we, we like to look at our, our home as our kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and the king has come home from work or, or whatever, and everything better be in order uh, or I'm going to be grumpy about mm-hmm. it. You know, and I had one of my really good friends say that to me one time is I have to, I have to look at my home as, as not as my kingdom, but it's, it's a place where I can serve. Right. And I just, that has always stuck with me. It's, this is not some technique. There's not five points to this. It's just a lifestyle. It's an attitude. And, um, and so I, I want to talk about church for a moment and, and what this might look like uh, in a church setting of, of being a servant leader. And I, and I think, you know, we see it a lot right now. I, I do think it's coming a little more full circle in the sense where we're getting back to, to me, some more basic ways of how church should function. But a lot of times people come to a church and we have this really weird American thing that happens. People church shop mm-hmm. and they go on the market and they want to find the church that meets their needs. The church that's got the, uh, the, you know, the celebrity pastor of which I'm not, um, <laughs> or, or the nicest building or this or that. And, and I, and I see these things and they're not entirely bad. I understand you have to find a place that where you fit. Uh, but sometimes at the forefront of our minds, we're, we're thinking about what the church can do for us and not really what we can offer in service to the church. You want to, uh, you know, expand on that a little bit and, and talk to Christians that are maybe find themselves in that place where they don't maybe feel happy with their church or uh, they're in the, they're not going to church because of what the church did to them or hurt them. And let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Absolutely. Right now, there are so many people that are not attending church. Yeah, They got used to watching church in their pajamas last year, and that became very comfortable and comfort can turn into an idol. And it's really, I think, one of the the things we elevate to idolatry in this culture more than anything else is comfort, our comfort. And that goes back to that narcissism and that inward focus. But first of all, people need to get up. When I say do the thing, sometimes the thing is get up and go to church. And it's not just about, well, I'm not getting fed there. Well, who are you feeding there? Are you even attempting to walk alongside people there and make friendships there and love people. You know, if you find yourself in a church where the first two commandments that Jesus said are the most important aren't happening, that there's not a love for God and his word and a, and teaching of his word, and then people aren't loving each other, maybe you should find another church. Those should be the two most predominant things in a church. That's great advice. But once you get in a church where God's word is honored and taught and preached and people are loving one another, jump in there and do the thing. Don't just be a receiver. Get in there, do the thing, right. and and do life with them. That's good. Because everyone is going to have an hour of need. But, you know, in this world, it's broken. People get sick. People die. People have struggles. Do you want to do it alone? I don't want to do it alone. No. And I don't want my tribe to be people who are not believers. It's great to have friends and things that are not believers, but I need to be encouraged in the word every now and then. And so it's really important to have that structure in place when it's your hour of need. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I believe in the power of the church. And I think that even the the word of God says that it's, it's God's eternal purpose is to use the church to display his love. Uh, It's such a, weighty concept. 
but the church functions so well when we model servanthood. Absolutely. And, and I, I know that, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've had some opportunities to, to really kind of dive into some early church history and to understand how the church functioned and how did a, how did just a, a you know, a, these 12 disciples and after Christ, uh, you know, was resurrected and, and went home to be with the father, how did this small little movement just explode? And, and I, I think it, it really came down to they served and they didn't consider themselves better than other people. They yes. didn't, they didn't consider themselves to be uh, served by others, but they came to serve like their savior did, like Jesus said, and Mark 10, 45, I, I've come to serve and to give my life up as a ransom for many. And so uh, w- one of my favorite um, pastors and authors, Tim Keller, you know, he he brings this up in such a really concise way through uh, books that he's read and, and, and history that he studied. And he, he talks about the five hallmarks of the early church that I think are just so profound. And, uh, and I'm going to go through these quickly because I think they're worth and I, uh, saying, but I think they tie into everything we're discussing here today, but the early church was inclusive. Uh, they, um, you know, they, they, it was, it was about men and women. It was about rich and poor, slave and free, uh, Jew and Gentile. And they, 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 they wanted to include everybody. And that was completely contrary to the culture in Rome. Uh, the, the second thing uh, that they, they were nonviolent, the, the, the anger was not there. They, they loved their enemies. They, uh, they prayed for those that persecuted them. Even, even Stephen, when he's being stoned in the book of Acts, I mean, he is, he's being killed and murdered and literally is praying, Father, don't hold this sin against them. The, there was no enemies there. Um, they were so generous to the culture around them, too, the third thing. Uh, the poor were served. Uh, the, the sick were uh, cared for. Uh, and so that was a big part of the culture. The fourth thing is that uh, they were passionate about life. And the early church just they really believed in protecting human life. And, and we don't have, uh, you know, the time to talk about this at length, but, you know, uh, during those days, I mean, you know, children were uh, abortion in the sense of we look at today medically uh, from a doctor's point of view was not really occurring. And, but people would just, they would give birth and then they would, you know, just uh, abandon the child. Uh, but Christians became this presence of going and getting these child, these children out of the, the trash dumps and raising them. And, and so this fierce protection of life was there. And the last thing that, uh, that Christians were really known for that was just completely an alternative to the culture was how they viewed uh, sex and as a gift from God that he had uh, given to a man and a woman and the confines of marriage. And that was celebrated. And so they were, they were very different from what was going on around them. And uh, and I think in the midst of all that, the inclusion, the the love of enemies, the generosity, protecting life, um, not being, uh, you know, having this infatuation with these animal like instincts of, towards sex that was all around them. They they grew and they were blessed because they were different than the culture. Um, do you have any thoughts on that and how that might tie into some things that you've said today in regards to? Uh, this idea of leading by serving? Uh, well, you know, the one that touches me the most is about how they took care of the children and protected life. Right. Uh, we talked about my adoption journey. Adoption is a common theme in the scripture. Um, wow. Taking care of the widows and orphans, that's pure religion, the Bible says. Yeah. Um, the Bible says, you know, that uh, 
God created that child. God, you, you saw me in my mother's womb. It's just such a vital part of our, our thinking as Christians that protecting life is so important. And, uh, you know, that theme of adoption that goes through the New Testament, it says we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And, and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I can tell you that adopted child has all the same rights and privileges in our family as the, <laughs> as the homegrown kids. You know, so it, adoption is a big deal, and it really does show God's heart. But all the rest of them, too, yeah. that, that acts group of believers, they gave of themselves over and over and over. They gave so sacrificially. And as a, as a result, look how fast the word spread before even their lives were done. The, the word went all through their world. That's right. And, and Jesus was glorified. Well, amen. And the key, the key ver- word here for me, just through all of that is that they, they just sacrificed. Yes. And they laid their lives down for uh, the world around them, gave their lives up for it. And, and so I, you know, as far as church goes, I just, I want to encourage, like, I want to build just briefly on what you said. Um, just if you find yourself in that place where, uh, you know, church is a struggle for you. Um, I think that your perspective will change drastically if you just decide to be there and pick up the towel and um, not go there to be fed, but to feed others, not go there to consume, but to produce uh, and, and, and I think that that is, uh, that's where our minds got to change in regards to church. We have to set aside this American idea that it's about me and what I can get. And still we fight against that and say, what can I give? Absolutely. And when we do go to church with the mindset to give, it's just amazing how much we do receive. That's just like good. the scripture I referenced in James 4 that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will raise you up. He, you humble yourself and do the thing, go to church, serve the people. And the, what he gives you in return is just amazing. It's incredible. What, what my family has benefited from, you know, being involved in a, in a vital church that preaches the word that serves one another, that, that whose motto is God loves family and we're family. That's important. That has become vital. I've found in my life uh, and I've learned the hard way that it seems like the more I give, the more I have. Absolutely. And, and sometimes in our world, we just, we have the exact opposite. They, we think the more we hold on to, the more we'll have. And the scriptures just teach the exact opposite. And not only do the scriptures teach that my life is proof of that. <laughs> and the sense of if the more I give, it seems like the more, uh, the more I have. Well, Tara, this has just been so good and, and I've been encouraged and uh, I've heard some really, really um, convicting things that you said here today. And I just want to c- kind of leave this with you and the sense of uh, just letting you speak any final words, life here that you'd like to uh, just leave with the audience um, today. And so feel free to share anything that maybe you don't feel like we covered or a question I didn't ask you that you'd like to answer. And and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Well. Really, just to circle back and kind of summarize, Jesus said, you know to serve one another, but you'll be blessed if you do it. Don't, James said, don't just be hearers of the word, do the word. And, and 
take the anger, remove the anger out of your heart, remove the unforgiveness. God wouldn't tell us to do those things if he wouldn't make it possible for us. He made a way for us out of all those temptations to hold on to anger and unforgiveness. And when we do that, then we have so many more resources inside of us to give out to others in a good way. Time is short because our lives are like a blade of grass that's cut and then blows away. Time is short. You know, I'm not I'm not talking about eschatology here, but I'm talking life is short. And we're not promised tomorrow. Right. Make it count. Do the thing. And the the way that God pays you back is just it's just contentment. Peace. It's peace. Yeah. It's just that feeling of loving and being loved. It you just see God working in your life a hundred percent. That's really good. I you know, just for the people that are listening to this, uh here today. And, you know, they've heard all of this being said, and we've, we've, we've had an array of, uh, of tangents we've taken together, but I think it really all comes back to uh, this kind of final question I have for you. And, and what, what would you tell anybody listening to this, this show today? Uh, what would you tell them today about servant leadership that would help them just put it in practice tomorrow? Before you get out of bed, Ask God how He can use you today. Ask Him to make you aware of the opportunities that come up to say an encouraging word or to make a phone call or to give a financial gift to somebody who might need it or to your church. Ask God how you can use what He has blessed you with. Even if you have limited resources, you live in the greatest country on the earth. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to us from the United States, we all have something in our bag of resources that we can give. And, you know, I, this scripture is not in my notes, but I'm thinking of Luke. I think it's 838 that says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will it come back to you? Just be willing to give of yourself. Wow, that's, that's some heavy, powerful stuff. Uh, to finish here uh, today. So Tara, thank you so much. I, I have been encouraged greatly by your words today. And I just thank you for coming on and giving us some really practical things that we can do. And I love what you kept saying, just do the thing, just do the thing. Amen. And so again, thank you for joining me today. And um, I just want to just leave you with uh, my final thoughts here with Tara and just understanding that this is all about your posture as a person, how you view people, do you view them as an, an obstacle or an inconvenience, or do you view them through the, uh, the eyes of God in the sense that he is there? They, they are a gift. They are his creation and whether we're going to lay our lives down for other people. And so those are the things that God has really shown me today through our talk. And uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening today. And we just thank Tara for coming on and uh, we can't wait to, to do this again sometime. What an incredible time that was with Tara Cutter. So thought-provoking, so much wisdom, knowledge, and truth that she presented to us. It's overwhelming. In fact, I still hear her voice in my head saying these words, do the thing, just do the thing. Whatever it is, just go and do it. And I know she's right. Because if I'm going to say I'm a certain type of person, I better go and be that type of person. If I'm going to say I believe certain things about my faith or how the world works, I better go out and live that out every single day. Our words mean nothing if our life does not back up what we say that we believe. 
So wherever this landed with you today, in your heart, in your mind, whatever conviction or burden that's there, go and pursue it with how you live, with your actions, not just your words. Go and do the thing. Jesus was humble. He picked up the towel. He went low. He was a servant leader. And when he did that, he changed the entire course of human history. I want to thank you so much for being with me today on this show. And if it blessed you, I want to ask you to use it to bless others. Go to your Spotify, click the share button, and send that link out to someone. Or go to danielkitchell.com and and subscribe there. We are everywhere that you listen to your music, your podcasts, or your books. We're on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Audible, anywhere you want to listen to this show. It's there. And so we ask that you share the word out for us. And I think one of the greatest ways you can do that is by sending a personal text to somebody or posting it to your social media pages. Well, it's just been an honor again to be here with you. And I can't wait for next time where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.